Hey, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of 200 and Counting. I'm your host, Tia Hill. And on this episode, I'm going to be covering a documentary that I saw all over social media over the last month or so. I'm sure you have too. I immediately had to give it a watch and so should you. It's on Netflix. It's new and it's called Crack, Cocaine, Corruption and Conspiracy. In the 80s, there was a lifestyle of celebration and Coke was part of that lifestyle. It was the glitzy drug. When crack came along, it changed everything about the black community and it changed everything about America. Now, I've seen a lot of documentaries, a lot of documentaries, over 200 documentaries and counting, hence the name. But out of the, I think I'm at 283 documentaries right now, but out of those, 3% of them are just about crack cocaine and the crack epidemic in the 80s and 90s and how it's affected the black community. Now, part of the reason that that is the area that I really, really zeroed in on when I really started going deep into watching documentaries is because I think that era of American history, of Black history, is so incredibly important because I can see the effects of that era on the Black community still to this day. And I think it really gets overlooked when we talk about the things Black people have gone through and things that are like stopping us from not reaching our full potential, but things that this country has done to hold Black people back. A lot of times people look over that era of history and it's really, really important because it had a huge hand in mass incarceration of Black and Brown men and women in the United States. And those effects are still being felt today. So on the one hand, I was looking forward to watching this because I was interested to see how this new documentary was going to cover it. But on the other hand, I was also like, this is like the millionth crack documentary that's made. How is this going to be any different than the rest? And you know what? It's not necessarily different because it is what it is, but it was very moving, which I appreciated. And I think that if you have never heard about this topic before, which is almost impossible if you listen to this podcast, because I've brought it up at least two or three times. But if you don't know anything about this topic, this is a great documentary for you to watch because it's really, really, really important context. New, like I said, it's on Netflix. It was directed by Stanley Nelson. Just from the jump, the vibe, it's so sharp. It's so clean. It reminds me of 13th. It was shot similarly for one thing, a similar topic because, you know, I covered the documentary 13th on an episode, but that also discusses mass incarceration, but on a broader perspective, you know, starting in the 1800s, this speaks specifically to the crack epidemic and how that's affected the black community and specifically crack's role in mass incarceration of black and brown people in the United States. On a larger scale, the story of the crack epidemic on its face is usually presented like this. So in the 80s and 90s, there was a massive influx of cocaine coming into the United States. And all of a sudden, this drug crack starts flooding the inner city, starts flooding black communities specifically. And it seemed like everyone was on crack. Nobody knows where it came from. And that had an effect on mass incarceration because hundreds of thousands of black people were imprisoned for ridiculously minor drug offenses. And they were put in prison for extremely long periods of time which ended up breaking up families, fucking up generations of people. And then you have the generation born in that era. They're still feeling the effects of that. A whole situation. That is the crack epidemic on its face, like the G-rated version. The real version that a lot of people like to tell and that I was telling was the CIA's whole crack in the black communities, full stop. And yeah, you know, there were a lot of moving parts. It wasn't necessarily just that. But the version that I like to tell is that the CIA had a hand in crack being disseminated into Black communities. There were also a lot of moving parts to the whole thing, but this documentary breaks it down in a way that I've never seen done before because usually when I'm watching documentaries, it either starts with the drug or it starts with the government, you know? And this time the story did not. It didn't start off with the U.S. government, not with the cops, not with the crack, but with the people. 
They humanize the people who used crack, who sold crack. And from there, they tell the story of how it plagued our community. And by doing that, I think it gives the viewer the opportunity to empathize with the people first on a human level. Because a lot of times when you think about drug offenses and you think about how they're prosecuted, people demonize drug users so, so much. People need help. People don't need to be ridiculed by their community because they made some mistakes or because they can't help being dependent on this substance. But that is what this documentary does. And rather looking at the technicalities of this is what happened and this is why, blah, blah, blah. It looks at the people first on a very human level, on a very relatable level, which I did appreciate. Extremely sad, extremely sad. And I did cry at the end, but I appreciated it. Now I'm going to back up a bit. and I'm going to start from the beginning. So it was interesting. They start with the Reagan era. And usually in drug documentaries, just in general, they start with Richard Nixon, who first declared the war on drugs in the 70s. But this documentary starts with Reagan and how he promised, you know, in the 80s, we're going to have a booming economy. I'm going to bring the U.S. back up to speed. I'm going to make America great again. Only one man has the proven experience we need. Ronald Reagan for president. Let's make America great again. Literally, where have we heard that phrase before? So, you know, the year is 1980 and we're coming off the 70s where there were all these cultural revolutions going on in terms of art, music, media, things like that. And there was a huge drug problem in the United States. And like I said, Richard Nixon had declared a war on drugs a few years earlier. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. That was mainly focused on weed, which is crazy, and heroin and also, you know, LSD, those kind of things. Crack hadn't really entered the picture yet. The war on drugs was racist, but I cover that in a lot of the other episodes, so I'm not even going to go into it here, but you know. Normally, though, that's where people begin the conversations about the crack epidemic. But instead, this documentary starts it with Reagan. And I do think that that kind of diminishes the extent to which drugs were already demonized in the mainstream media. But, you know, what do I know? I wasn't there. But this documentary gives us this glitzy, glamorous backdrop of the U.S. at the time. And it's the yuppie era. People are making money, the stock market. And apparently a lot of people are doing cocaine on television. And cocaine is coming into the mainstream media as a super cool, glamorous, rich white people drug that they do in movies and on TV. And it's dainty, just a little boop. And, you know, you get high, no big deal. But cocaine is expensive. And somehow a ton of it is coming into the U.S. at alarming rates. But nobody knows how. But it's there. And it's expensive and it's seen as a rich people drug. But a cheaper, faster way to consume cocaine and to get high was to make crack out of it. And there's some science to it. You got to cook this shit up. Basically, it becomes a rock that you can smoke and that high hits you immediately. So, I mean, they're both dangerous when done in excess, but crack was like an immediately faster high because something about it like gets in your lungs, something like that, some science thing. Um, they interview Freeway Rick Ross, who was a huge crack dealer in LA back in the day. Also, who the rapper Rick Ross got his name from, but he was known for cooking cocaine to make crack, but he made a ton of money doing this because it was way cheaper and it was way faster for people who were buying it on the street. And there's actually a really good documentary that's just about him called Freeway Crack in the System that tells his story in great detail. You know how they say that everybody has a purpose in life? Well, at one time I felt that selling cocaine was my purpose. I was going through like a million dollars worth of drugs just about every day. And it also gives more details about CIA involvement at the street level getting crack to people. So at this point, you've got this ready rock that's easier to sell, quicker to get high on. And then they actually share this story that I'd never heard about Richard Pryor, the comedian. And he was in the news because his crack pipe had lit on fire and he was found burned. And then all of a sudden people were like, crack? And a ball of fire ran past me. Richard Pryor, the comedian and writer, was badly burned in an accident at his home in California last night. 
I'd never heard that story, but they claim that that moment culturally brought crack into the mainstream. And it also shows how common it was starting to become for people to be smoking crack. Later on, they talk about Len Bias and how he was a basketball player who graduated from the University of Maryland. He died allegedly after using crack one night. These were years and years apart from one another, but those were two major stories of black celebrities who had had encounters with this drug and mainstream media was kind of like, what is that? So at a certain point, crack starts traveling around the country and then all of a sudden it floods the black community. And because it's flooding the black community, thanks to Ronald Reagan and his stupid trickle down economics and the lack of resources given to these communities, the lack of funds, which if you want to learn about more about that, there's a docuseries called The Reagans on Showtime. But think about it. You had all these black communities, these black cities around the country, no resources. People don't have jobs. People who may be suffering from any number of different traumas are using substances to cope. All of a sudden, there's this drug flooding the community and people are doing it. They're selling it or they're facing the consequences of this drug being in the community due to the violence that's permeating their communities around this drug. And at first, people are strung out. People are dying from gun violence in their neighborhoods. You got kids getting into selling drugs, getting guns all of a sudden getting assault rifles and these military grade weapons just killing each other. And the government, the cops, they're getting paid off. Nobody's doing shit. The amount of corruption was crazy. Nobody gave a damn. Why? Because it was mostly black and brown communities. And you had officers like Michael Dowd from the episode I did on the 7-5. This is just like a ton of throwbacks, but he was one of the most corrupt cops in NYPD history. Just looking the other way, being paid off, helping to smuggle drugs. There was no protecting, no serving, just corruption. Did you personally treat it seriously, the integrity training? Uh, no. And based on your conversations with your other recruits, did they treat it seriously? No, uh, that's how we all formulated our own opinions from that. And based on what you could see, did the instructors treat it seriously? Not at all. On the streets, you had young men, young black and brown men choosing a deal, not necessarily because they were out to destroy their community, but because they had no other source of income. You have a poor school system that doesn't prepare people for a trade or to go to college or for life in general. And then you give them the opportunity to make quick, fast money and you get a gun. Please. Of course, people are taking that. And they spoke a lot about the mental effects that that has on people. You can get PTSD. You can get anxiety. This environment has real life consequences, either death, you're doing time or it just gets to you mentally. And it turns you into a person that you weren't a year ago, two years ago. I thought that was a really great look at how people felt outside of, oh, crack is bad. Because usually in documentaries, it's like crack devastated the black community. But they don't talk to people about like, these are the real life impacts that I had because of the environment that I was surrounded in. It was bad for the community. This is how this environment weighs on people and affects people outside of, oh, they just started selling crack and they made some money and uh, that was crazy. You know, it's like, no, this has real effects on people. Now, this is going on in black and brown neighborhoods. Now, mind you, white people were coming into these neighborhoods also and buying and doing crack. Matter of fact, statistically, more white people do drugs than black people, period. And yet that was never covered in the news. In college, I did research for a whole summer on the portrayal of black people in mainstream media. And one of the biggest findings was in the 90s a lot of the research showed that news stations were more likely to show negative portrayals of Black people doing anything, whether it's looting, riding, doing drugs, even when, like I said, statistically, Black people weren't the one engaging in those actions the most. And then you see in the documentary, they go into these neighborhoods to talk to people. And you know, the news reporting back then was racist as hell. They would not hesitate to show you some Black pain and suffering. Whoop boy. They'd be in those streets picking every damn person of color they could find. Talking about, ma'am, so, so you do crack. Wow. So this woman... She is neglecting her kids and choosing to do crack cocaine, crack cocaine, instead of taking care of her kids. <laughs> Fascinating. And it's like, can you have some empathy for these people who are suffering? How about you do something besides like running news stories? 
Now, as a response to this crack epidemic, Ronald Reagan, George Bush Sr., Bill Clinton, all those presidents in the 80s and 90s passed legislation that punished people involved with drugs. But that meant that whether you were caught with drugs on you or you were caught selling or whatever the case may be, you went to prison for a long, long, long time. And that is not fair. Let us roll up our sleeves to roll back this awful tide of violence and reduce crime in our country. We have the tools now. Let us get about the business of using them. They did talk about how a lot of black communities are looking to the government being like, um, hello, are, are you going to do something? So lawmakers were like, all right, bet. And then they went totally intense with it and were like, OK, let's lock everybody up. And it's like, no, you know, you know what would be helpful? Resources and counseling and job opportunities for people who are suffering from addiction or who are on the streets. Instead, they came up with these wild sentencing laws that meant that mostly black and brown people got locked up at wildly disproportionate rates. Since 1986, defendants caught with 500 grams of powder cocaine have gotten the same punishment, five years in prison, as defendants convicted of possessing only five grams of crack cocaine. That's a sentencing ratio of 100 to 1. Interestingly enough, though, the two drugs at this point, crack and cocaine, had been racialized by the mainstream media. Crack was seen as a poor black and brown person's drug and cocaine was seen as a rich white person drug. And so they were punished as such. And was especially messed up is that they're the same drug. Crack is from cocaine. So there's really not that much difference. And so that's why even though two thirds of drug users were white, but not a single white person was convicted of a federal crack offense in L.A. Try Flynn. And in the midst of all of this, they talk about how Nancy Reagan starts this little just say no to drugs campaign like that's going to do anything. We got people with real issues out here. We have people losing their lives due to drug abuse and drugs being flooded into their neighborhoods. And she up here talking about just say no. Not long ago in Oakland, California, I was asked by a group of children what to do if they were offered drugs. And I answered, just say no. Well, ma'am, if it were that easy and if it weren't being pushed into these neighborhoods, then maybe we wouldn't have had this issue in the first place. They started doing all these anti-drug campaigns all over TV and movies. And now mainstream media is just saying drugs are bad, drugs are bad, crack is bad, crack is bad, without actually addressing the root of the problem. Like the documentary starts with telling you, they, these are communities in need who need resources. But the government, mainstream media says, no, these are people who chose to make a bad decision. There's one commercial that they used to play that they always talk about. And it's like a guy, he cracks an egg and he starts frying it. And then he goes, this is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And I've seen this, not live, obviously, because I wasn't born yet. But every time I've seen it, I've been like, I have a lot of questions, sir, because that egg looks delicious. So I really don't get what the problem is. But like I was saying, because of this huge media push, that meant that a lot of black and brown people were being demonized in the media for something that they had very, very, very little control over. So at this point, the mainstream media is demonizing drug users. They're demonizing crack users. And they're, they're painting this picture of pathological black men and women who are choosing to do drugs and choosing to destroy their communities and neglect their kids. For black women specifically, they faced a whole different kind of battle because they're they're going to hospitals and nurses are snitching on them, having them get arrested from the hospital, separating them from their children and saying, oh, they're they're birthing crack babies, this, that and the third. All of this feels like slavery. And then from all of this, you get this negative depiction of a black women who just loves crack more than anything, loves crack more than their kid. And you see that in mainstream media across genres. There's a freaking song, Your Mama's on Crack Rock.
And they didn't even talk about this in the documentary, but in the 80s, Ronald Reagan popularized the idea of a welfare queen, which was another black woman living off a government's dime. So now you have all these stereotypes about black women just swirling in the mainstream media, when in reality, there are people that genuinely need help and the government chose not to give people real concrete resources and help. They chose to simply lock people up and throw away the key as if that would fix anything. They speak to a lot of women who ended up getting locked up and they were incarcerated during this whole war on drugs, during this whole crack epidemic. And these were women who genuinely needed help and the support of the government. And they're like, am I not worthy of that? Am I not worthy of rehabilitation? How come other people get to go to cushy, really, really nice rehab centers all the time? But, you know, if a poor black or brown person has a substance abuse issue, oh, they're going to prison. And as we know from previous episodes and common sense, if if someone has a real issue, throwing them in prison does not do a damn thing, okay? Prison does not rehabilitate, especially not prison in the United States. So that is just a lost cause sending people into prison and just demonizing people and mistreating people. That literally does not do anything. So that really just made the problem worse. They talk about how there was a 707% increase of black prisoners from 1984 to 1995. And you cannot tell me, you cannot tell me that is because black people are inherently more violent or dangerous or anything like that. We know that that is not true. So I'm not even going to entertain that idea. But that is not the case. It's because laws were created that were more likely to put black and brown people in prison. A lot of people were in there. They didn't even do anything for real. And now you're coming out. They don't have any job prospects. They don't have any resources. Their community is gone. It's ravaged by this drug. It's just a very, very terrible, terrible, terrible cycle. Now, of course, as I said earlier, one of the biggest takeaways from this whole epidemic is that the U.S. government was essentially allowing this to happen the entire time for their own political gain. Now, again, one thing that I appreciated about the documentary was that it talked more about the people and the impact it had on the community and why it was bad and very little about the government involvement in it. Like that was kind of it was peppered in throughout, but it wasn't that much detail about it, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't really know how I felt about that. But the situation that was going on during all of this was that down in Nicaragua, a leftist government run by the Sandinista Liberation Front overthrew the government at the time. And the U.S. didn't like that. They didn't want a socialist government installed in Central America. So Reagan wanted to go to war over it. But Congress was like, why would why would we do that? Why would we do that? That's none of our business. And Reagan was like, mm, well, I'm gonna make it our business. So in order to fund this war and to fund a militia group called the Contras, which they hired essentially to overthrow the leftist government, the U.S. went ahead and sold guns to Iran and then took that money and then used it to buy arms for the Contras. And then they would fly the guns over to the Contras. And then they had these empty planes and then they'd load them up with cocaine. And then the coke would fly into the U.S. and bada bing, bada boom. And then they'd be like, oh my God, we have no idea how this, all of this cocaine just flew right into the United States. We have no idea. That is so crazy. Isn't that the darndest thing? And they had all of this cocaine flowing into the country. And then they went ahead and let it be sold on the streets. Didn't really stop it from being sold or from being trafficked in. And then once everyone was caught with crack or cocaine on their person, they got arrested and thrown into prison. And then someone made a ton of money off of all of these black and brown prisoners in the system. And of course, Ronald Reagan denied all of this. The only thing I know about major shipments of arms, as I've said, everything that we sold them could be put in one cargo plane and there would be plenty of room left over. But it happened. And the documentary doesn't talk about this, but there was this journalist named Gary Webb, who I mentioned in some other episode, I don't even know at this point, but he wrote this book called The Dark Alliance. And it essentially detailed all of this and exposed the government. And he ended up committing suicide years later, presumably 
you know, in connection to outing the U.S. government, because for a while, obviously, they denied all of this and they denied like the crack smuggling part because, you know, that's not necessarily convenient for them. But I will say the documentary didn't really go that much into detail about it. Like they went into detail about it and they explained it in a good way that I'd never heard before that really made it easier to process like, oh, they had like a little map, the nice little graphic, which I really, really appreciated. But they didn't really go into like, oh, and then the government denied it. They did talk about how the CIA went to Watts, California to kind of do a town hall. And because in L.A., it was really, really prevalent. And the people were like, what the fuck? And the guy was like, I I mean, I don't know. We'll do it. We'll do an investigation. We'll see what happened. And the people are like, no. One thing that I did appreciate, though, was the soundtrack to this. There were all these classic hip hop songs that really painted a picture of the conditions that a lot of black people were living in at the time. You know, you had Grandmaster Flash and The Message. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. You had Public Enemy coming out with all sorts of tracks. You had NWA who came out with Fuck the Police in response essentially to the increase in policing in black neighborhoods, especially in LA in the 90s. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think. And that wasn't the point of this documentary at all, but it is a really cool historical link that a lot of other documentaries have made was that hip hop, its birth and its growth, a lot of that in the genre happened around this same time and it's reflected in the music of that era. So there's this really great documentary called Planet Rock hip hop and the crack generation. And I watched it on YouTube like six years ago. And it breaks all of this down if you want a little more info on that. And I will put a link in the episode description to all of these other documentaries. But overall, I would say I really enjoyed this documentary. It really got me. Now, I will also say that it was very moving. It was very sad. Like I said, I mean, it upset me. It didn't tell me anything that I didn't really already know, but it was kind of like, damn. You know, kind of like, damn, I did cry at the end, like I said, because it's sad. It really is sad because it's easy for the government or for whoever to look back at it now and be like, oh, whoops, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have locked up all those people. Dang. It's easy for people to do that in retrospect. But what you can't take back are the years people spent in prison. You can't take back the psychological effects of those two decades during which we had those unfair sentencing laws, which weren't overturned, mind you, until um, the Obama era, like sometime within the last 10, 15 years. So that's a really, really long time that people are being thrown in prison essentially for no reason and not given any resources. You really can't take back the effects that even the 80s and 90s had on people today and on the black community today and on this cycle that people are getting stuck in and what that did to black communities. Because how do you even come back from that? One of the people they interview talk about how they felt like it was chemical warfare. And it was like just dropping guns and a lethal drug into a community and just letting people kill one another and not giving anybody any resources or help or anything. That is psychotic. That is psychotic and truly one of the darkest chapters in American history. Now, of course, as black people, we rise above it and we are not just that era and things that happened to us, but it is interesting to put into perspective the Black experience in the United States since we first were brought over here has been a long one. And every few decades, there truly is something else. But you know what? I think this documentary does a really, really good job of telling that story and condensing it for people who have never heard it before. For some reason, it's a good primer. If you want to learn more about this topic, like I said, um, Freeway, Cracking the System, Planet Rock, and there's probably one or two other ones. 13th, obviously, are all other really, really good 
companion documentaries to this documentary if you really, really, really want to dive deeper because there is a lot more to this story that they didn't even talk about in here. And I'm going to say it's pretty infuriating, but it's really, really important history to know. Overall, I would give this four and a half stars. I thought it was really good, but to be honest with you, I would not watch this again. I wouldn't. 13th, I loved and I will watch it again every few years because it's so moving. This, it moved me, but not enough that I would ever see it again because it also was just very sad and bleak. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be in the mood to watch this again. But I do think that you need to watch this. If you're looking for a good historical documentary that is going to move you and make you want to do all of this research and dig deeper, definitely watch this doc. It's like a smooth hour and a half. But yeah, four and a half stars and definitely check out some of the documentaries that I'm going to link in the description below if you want to learn more. And thanks so much for listening. Drop a comment, drop me a rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and I will see you on the next episode.